The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media application for your smart device or now even on your desktop. I've been using Go Wild for a while, and here's what I want you to know. What it is, it's a social media application. It's like Facebook, like Instagram, like any of those things. But the whole purpose behind Go Wild is to promote outdoor content. You can go on here. You can see exactly what you want to see, whatever um, type of content you want to see, whether that be fishing, hunting, whitetail hunting, bear hunting, um, turkey hunting, just anything like that. You have so many endless options that you can check out and you can subscribe to each one of those things and that's what you see. It's really cool, especially now in a day where social media has uh, really completely gotten out of hand. Um, every time I log into Facebook, Instagram, or anything like that, all I'm seeing is negativity. Well, with Go Wild, you're going to see a bunch of positive people that love the outdoors as much as you and I do. So go and check out Go Wild on your smartphone or even on your desktop. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am your host, Parker McDonald. I am uh, I'm coming at you. Obviously, things are a little bit different. I'm sure you heard um, we're not, well, there's not intro music and all the editing stuff that I normally do. Let me tell you why. So earlier this week or last week, actually a week ago from right now, we're recording this on a Tuesday, a week ago, I was driving my wife's car. I was about to get in my car to go to work and there was a bunch of baby toys in the back seat of her car. And so I was going to take out uh, the baby toys and make room to put my backpack to go to work. And my backpack had my MacBook in it. Well, I guess at some point I laid my MacBook down, took out all the baby toys and drove off and um, ran over my computer. So I don't have a, a way to edit quite the way that I have been in the past. Um, luckily, I have Apple Care, so my computer is covered and they are going to be sending me a new one pretty soon. So um but yeah that's why it's a little bit different today um i ran over my macbook that's also why you probably have not heard uh of any new videos coming out on um with southern ground so let me let me tell you guys about this too um this is very important and and i you know we have been southern ground has been a part of the sportsman's nation we are a part of the sportsman's nation's podcast network and on youtube we have been a part of the Sportsman's Nation channel as well and putting a lot of content on there over the past couple of years and you guys have just really responded so well to that and I am so grateful for that. Let me tell you about a little change that's going to be coming up very soon. So um, we are going to be going and moving to our own Southern Ground channel. So we're going to be uh, separating from the Sportsman's Nation only on YouTube, not on the podcast network. Um, But on YouTube, we are going to be um, separating from the Sportsman's Nation. So go and find the Southern Ground hunting page on YouTube. Obviously, there's no content on there right now, um, but there's going to be. I'm going to be uploading a lot of the older things, older videos on there so that there's stuff um, that people can watch. But also, I'll be uploading scouting videos and some DIY videos and some how-to videos um, very, very soon, as uh, literally as soon as I get my MacBook back, um, there's going to be content going on that channel. So go to YouTube and find Southern Ground Hunting on YouTube and uh, give it a subscribe. I would greatly appreciate that. I know a ton of you guys are already subscribed on the Sportsman's Nation channel 
um, because of the Southern Ground videos. And I, like I said, I'm super grateful for that. Um, but we are going to be splitting from uh, the Sportsman's Nation and going to our own channel. So I love it if you would go and find Southern Ground Hunting on YouTube and subscribe to that. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of good content on there coming up very shortly. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. The future is very bright. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about having our own channel and uh, and building something from the ground up that's going to be awesome. I really think it's going to be great, and uh, I'm, I'm super excited about it. So um, with that being said, I am very, very excited this week to be talking to uh, some our, I think it's our first guest from Arkansas. And uh, I was talking to Drew, who is on vacation tonight. He is uh, – he just got to Florida. He's going to the beach for vacation, and so he's not here. But I just talked to Drew the other day, and I was like, man, I feel like we need to talk about Arkansas. We need to talk to somebody from Arkansas. And uh, Drew, actually, some of you may not know this, Drew actually used to live in Arkansas for a little bit. And so we've been kind of brainstorming and racking our brains and trying to figure out people um, that we could get on the show from Arkansas. And uh, I do believe we are going to have some – uh, Arkansas residents on the local legend series that starts in July. So make sure you're looking out for that. That's going to be cool. We did it last year and uh, had such a great response from all of you guys. And uh, and so we're going to be doing that starting in July, going the whole month of July. But first, before we before we uh, start that local legend series, like I said, me and Drew were racking our brains trying to think of people. And uh, and I immediately thought of this today's guest, and that's uh, Caleb Caleb Gamble. And Caleb is a guy that I've been friends with on Facebook. Um, you kind of become friends with people who like the same things you are in, into the same stuff. You you're all part of the same groups, and so um, I've seen his stuff. And one thing I can I can say about Caleb is that he is incredibly consistent. Um, at least as long as I've been his friend on Facebook, he's been very consistent in killing big bucks in the state of Arkansas and on public land. So without further ado, Caleb, what's up, man? Oh, what's going on, man? Man, I'm just uh, happy to be alive, happy to have survived (laughs) COVID-19 and basically just the state of the nation right now. And it's good to just sit down and talk about deer hunting with somebody who likes it as much as I do. (laughs) Yeah, man, I hear that. Yeah. Uh, Appreciate you having me. Yeah, man, absolutely. We really enjoy the channel. We're really excited, man. I appreciate it. And um, and we've actually had several people request uh, some Arkansas content. And so I know we have a lot of listeners there. And like I said, man, I just I couldn't think of anybody better to come on the show, especially as our first Arkansas guest. And so um, welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, Caleb, uh, our first ever Arkansas guest. So um yeah appreciate it yeah man so so caleb why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself i know i kind of gave you a long intro there um but tell us you know what you do for a living and a little bit about how you got started hunting and the style of hunting that you do well uh i'm actually uh i'm a master plumber and uh that's what i do for a living do it quite a bit uh, but can i just interrupt i'm gonna interrupt yeah. you i'm gonna interrupt you right there just to say that I wish every profession had a master level. Like, yeah. like how cool would it be if you're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, like for me, I'm a pastor. I'm a master pastor. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be awesome. Anyway, go ahead. It's a good, it's a good sound title anyway. Yeah, it is. The rhyme is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I live here in, it's Lone Oak, Arkansas, which is just east of, 
the capital, Little Rocks, and it's pretty much central. Uh, but I hunt uh, the Delta, which is the eastern part of the state. It's where the farm country is, and it's where the rich soul is, and where most of the, you know, where all the Arkansas residents know that's just where the big deer are known to be. So, yeah, that's where uh, I've always, I grew up fishing over there, and then as I got older, uh, on those public areas, you know, just seeing the deer, and then my dad introduced me into hunting, and then uh, it just kind of picked up from there and as i got older and could drive i started going to those places because some of them aren't 20 minutes from my house so i just trial and error didn't know what i was doing going over there with a bow and just i've learned over the years just you know by mistake really but yeah um now your dad you said your dad introduced you to hunting was he like was it I know for me and my dad, my dad was not super into hunting whenever he introduced me to hunting. Was it kind of like that, or was your dad like a diehard deer hunter, public land guy, always killing big bucks? How was that? No, he was a diehard gun hunter. He just loved to, you know, go deer hunting. But we, back then, I think it was just like maybe a month season. So he was more of a diehard fisherman all over. So we, you know, we would hunt, gun hunt three or four weeks a year and then after that it was back to fishing you know yeah bitter cold i just remember freezing to death but i didn't tell him because i wanted i didn't want to be left behind so i was going <laughs> fishing but my passion just grew in more into the hunting than i don't know the i get more through out of that you know the chase than i do don't get me wrong i love fishing but i'd much rather chase a white tail yeah i'm the same way man i that's that's the hard thing about this time of year is like, I, I actually, once we had kids, once me and my wife had kids, I pretty much had to pick one. Uh, I always was a hardcore bass fisherman, kayak bass fisherman. But then, yeah. you know, we had kids and it was like, okay, which one am I going to sell out to? Because I got to choose one. <laughs> and I, it was hunting. Yeah. Um, the same That's me. I, my white tails, what I, I'd give it all up for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, my dad and even my grandpa, which they always told me, when we were in those public areas, how big the deer were there and all that stuff. So it just, you know, I had that in my mind the whole time growing up. So once I got on my own, that's just kind of where I gravitated to that area, which, I mean, it was so close, convenient. So I just kind of went after it. So describe, describe the area. Obviously don't tell any spots or any, any WMAs (laughs) or anything like that, but, Kind of describe what the terrain is like in the areas that you spend most of your time in. Uh, it's mostly, you know, it's bottomland. Has uh, there's a couple rivers that border it, run through it, and uh, it floods throughout the winter. You know, it's of course popular more for duck hunting. A lot of people do that, which I don't mind. And a lot of people don't like that, but it kind of helps me uh, know where I'm going and. Uh, that kind of pushes deer to certain areas too. So you can use that to your advantage, but it's, you know, it's mostly just bottom land. There's some on certain areas on, uh, one side of the river, I guess, you know, it gets kind of hilly and ridgy close to the river, but for the most part, it's just flat bottom land with, you know, pin oaks and, 
uh, water oaks and cypress and swampy stuff. And just, you know, I, I, it's what I grew up and I love it. Yeah. Okay. I want to back up just a little bit on that. Um, and the reason is because I was telling you, Caleb, I don't, I don't hunt a lot of river bottom areas. I have a few places that I can go to that are, you know, similar to what you're describing. And, um, and I, and it's really hard for me to get on deer in those areas. Like, for example, when I go to Kentucky, um, I'm not going to say it's hard to get on deer just because there's a lot of deer, but some of the places you go into with the same mindset as you do, as I do in the mountains up here or down here in North Alabama, um, you go, if you go into them with the same mindset, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. And so there's a lot of things about like that flat land hunting that I just, I need, I need a lot of help with. And I think a lot of guys would find themselves in a similar situation, but you said something just a second ago, talking about duck hunters and in my limited experience hunting on flat land, I have actually had to deal with duck hunters and, and my, my go-to instinct is that, okay, I need to get as far away from these duck hunters as I can. And another good example is, um, dove hunters in kentucky when i go up there for the opener it's dove season and people are blasting doves all over the place and and you said that you kind of like that you you don't mind it you feel like it drives some of the some of the deer into your areas how are you um how are you kind of navigating that so like it are you are you super concerned do you feel like duck hunting pressure affects the deer do they do you feel like they have some type of like sense of knowing that those are duck hunters and not deer hunters i think so i mean it it used to really get on my nerves but uh it doesn't mess them up as bad as you think which i mean i've duck hunted and they go through your decoys too yeah i've seen some of the biggest deer duck hunting but um i think they're somewhat you know they they know somewhat what's going on but um i just go where kind of where the duck hunters aren't or where they may push them over the next ridge or you know they'll still walk through the flooded timber like i call them ridges they're nothing from mountain guy like you but uh just slight rises they'll still follow them even when it's flooded uh but it's just areas that are getting overlooked and a lot of the thick areas which i do hunt bedding areas but i mean it's just a little secluded spot that they're not really getting messed with. And sometimes, you know, I don't think they're too far from the duck hunters because, yeah. you know, a lot of deer hunters aren't going to want to hunt close to the duck hunters. So I kind of gravitate to those areas. Yeah. Not, I mean, I'm not really trying to get just super full from the duck hunters. It's just sometimes, you know, it, Sometimes I can see some of the duck hunters. I've actually seen a really good buck and shot him, made a bad shot on him. But he, the duck hunters were coming by me uh, right at daylight. Uh, and then just as they disappeared, he appeared where they just disappeared at. And he ended up coming up. I was on a little peninsula type deal that comes on a trail that was in that flooded timber. And he was walking in the flooded timber, come right up to me and, I just, I was younger then, let the nerves get to me and just made a poor shot on him, but everything worked, you know, besides me making the shot. Yeah. So kind of talking about that, you, you're talking about how it's a little bit ridgy, not maybe not mountains, but there's, there's rises 
and there's yeah. some slight terrain features. Um, before we started recording, you were telling me, you know, you've seen them walk some of the same trails that you know are trails, even when it's flooded, even on those, on those ridges, you've, you've seen them walk through the water on those same trails. Um, is, is that, does that sound about, about right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's their home. I you know a lot of people get discouraged by it or they just go somewhere else, but I mean, you just gotta remember they're, they see it every day. And uh, water, I like when the water's up, but some people don't, which, you know, that also helps with access because I use a hero to a lot of that stuff. So that kind of hinders other people and they don't do it. So, you know, I've got a real, it's a Bobcat Piro that's, I want to say, low 40s and maybe 45 pounds or less. It's real easy to drag or two people can carry it real easy, but... um, floats in real shallow water and i mean it's easy access that way you can be quiet scent free yeah and if you you know if you're carrying one out it's real easy throw it in the payroll you don't have to drag him out or pack him out yeah so okay like there's so much stuff just in this last like 30 seconds of uh, that i I really want to break down so i want to I want to hold that right there, talking about the Piro, because I'm very interested in that, as as you know, and a lot of people who listen to this know. Like, if you want to talk about something that just like cranks my tractor, it's water access. Yeah. I freaking love that stuff. You and um, me both. <laughs> and so I don't want to I don't want to skip past that because I feel like we could talk about that for a good minute. But I do want to I want to I want to talk about a couple of things that you've said um, that you've said already in this podcast and kind of put it all together. So. Um, going on what you said, it's their home. So even when it's flooded, even when, even when the water is up above those trails and those deer are, um, walking through water or even maybe having a little bit of pressure from duck hunters of having to change their, their patterns and they're, they're walking through this on these ridges, on these, um, on these trails, quote unquote trails, Uh, that you know are there that I guess you've scouted or just in hunting that you know are there. Um, But then you also said that you, you hunt a lot of beds and, and so I want to know there's one thing that is with, with river bottom, especially when it's flooded, that really kind of um, it, it, it's kind of a stopping point for me. I don't understand it. And that is, buck bedding in river bottom areas especially in flooded areas so my number one question is do you find that they will still use a bed even if it's got standing water in it uh yes if it's not you know a lot of water i mean i've jumped them in you know inches of water they're actually laying in the water last year i actually jumped a really good buck i was kind of discouraged so i was scouting on the ground in a ghillie suit which uh i do quite a bit but uh, i guess i call it scout hunting i'm hunting him while i'm scouting but uh, i walked out up on him i i I guess he was asleep i had the wind in my favor and i had actually walked a little past him and he was just laying in a by a lone cypress tree with a lot of just stuff around him kind of in the wide open but Hmm. he jumped up i'm assuming he heard me because i was kind of stopping looking for a spot to hunt and uh he was actually laying in the water and I just had overlooked it because, you know, it was in the water, but I was going past him a little bit, but I've seen them in the water quite a bit. 
we've actually seen them in flooded timber on logs when we were driving through really? uh going duck hunting and stuff just really just going for a boat ride when it was real deep now yeah. i'm not saying they were bedding on a log but you know it's just crazy what they will do uh in flooded timber man that's that's interesting i think you can i think you can real like for me if i'm looking at an area that's completely flooded um i'm just not i'm probably not going to spend a lot of time there but from what it sounds like if i know that there's deer using that area and that's their home don't just assume that they're being pushed out by the flooding like definitely not and if you can find a slight rise and i mean i know they're going to prefer you know a lot of them i found there's a dry clump out there it doesn't have to it can just be big enough for him because he's going out there by himself he can hear everything coming you know, you don't necessarily hunt that, but you figure out kind of where he's going to go from that, you know, be another bedding area or, you know, stage up where he's going to feed that night or whatever. Yeah. And get as close as you can to that. Because I was actually hunting a spot where I would pirou in and I actually would tie off to the tree that I was climbing. My stand was in the water, but I was shooting on to like a levee that was coming it was i mean it was going down through the flooded timber and my brother-in-law actually killed a really nice deer we weren't hunting 200 yards apart just kind of different transition areas from that and he just drew the straw that night but he killed a real nice nine point and he had four bucks together this was in october and they all came through flooded you know it was it was in the you know it's at their brisket yeah walking Golly. So if we went and scouted all that, you know, later in the year and ended up, they were just, they were bedded out on just a real small, it was an island then, but it's just a slight, uh, you know, difference in elevation that was out of the water. Hmm. So you, so, I mean, that seems, so I'll kind of compare it to this. So this past turkey season, um, Caleb, I don't know if you saw the video of it, but I actually ended up killing a turkey out of my kayak. And, um, I did, (laughs) it was was crazy. It was a crazy experience. The whole thing was, was weird. Um, and it's one of those things like when I think about that, when I think about my Turkey season this past, this past year, how just bizarre it was, it, it, it's weird to me. Like the, the white bird (laughs) shooting the one out of the kayak. There's just some weird things that, that you had a lot better season than I did. (laughs) I had a lot better season than I've ever had. Just as far as like weirdness, just like memorable things. But one of the things that those turkeys were doing was that you could really, it was all flooded in that area. I wasn't used to being, it being so flooded. Um, But that's one of the areas that I have that I can deer hunt on. um, That's kind of that river bottom type area that floods a lot. And, but you could really, knowing that the water was up, you could really pinpoint the only places where those turkeys were going to be able to go. Um, cause they weren't going to just be hanging out in the water. You know, they're a little bit different than deer in that sense. Um, yeah. they weren't going to be hanging out in that, in that water if they didn't have to. And so you could really start to pinpoint where they were going to be at, um, just by looking at a topo map and trying to figure out where those rises are. So what it seems like is in the same sense with, with deer in a lot of those areas, you may not know because they will sometimes be in water but you can really start to pinpoint some of those areas where they may be hanging out at or 
um, spending a, a majority of their time, you know, betting during the daylight on some of these like just really subtle um, rises. And then what you can do at that point, I guess at that point is where a lot of scouting kind of comes in, into play and knowing their travel ra- travel routes through those areas. Um, but is that kind of what you're doing is really looking at a map and saying, okay, if it's all flooded, there's a rise. There's a good chance that there's deer on that, that they're used to this. And, and so you're going to set up somewhere around that or kind of knowing where their trails are coming out of that. Pretty much. I mean, that's, that's all I do is stare at maps and onyx. I mean, my phone overheats. I'm on it so much, but, um, (laughs) it just, it drives me nuts and I can't stop looking at it, but, um, yeah, I'm just looking for those secluded spots. It's not always flooded timber, but I love when I have that because it kind of narrows it down, especially if you can find the little secluded ones that are dry, you know, in that flooded timber. Mm -hmm. Um, but another thing, you know, the bedding areas, uh, the ones that I've had really good success is when food is either there or not far at all, which we don't have a problem with water, but when it has everything within a really close proximity, I guess, 300 yards or less, Mm -hmm. like food, water, shelter, everything everybody has to have. I just seem to find really good success there. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't have to be real far. I mean, some, some of mine are real far away and it's a pain to get to some of them are really easy because water blocks it from other intrusion from people and i'm hunting you know right next to the road some of my best hunts and stuff have been right next to the road sure so that was going to be my next question in talking about this this style of hunting um in the areas that you hunt is it mostly just flooded timber is it flooded farmland do you have any crops or are you mostly pinpointing like um, other other food sources? Like you, you said, there's a lot of pin oaks and things like that. Um, what would you say your your majority of the time you're focusing on as far as food? Yeah, I mean we have it all over there. We have soybeans uh, that can be good early season. I don't look at it on it too much because, of course, the soybeans are private, okay. and uh, a lot of it you can see from the road. Uh, you can, I mean, I've had success, especially early, maybe shooting those on thing, or if you just have a buck that's, it seems like they never, you can watch them all summer, and then as soon as season opens, they're not, they, you know, I like, kept yep, season's opening tomorrow, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to change my route. Um, so, I, I look more for, you know, the mast, you know, the white oaks, uh, but it, I mean, it can even be a red oak or a pin oak, you know, everybody here thinks a white oak is gold but if it has that right pin oak that's really close to bedding or even in the edge of the bedding mm-hmm. i'm gonna go to that hoping you know that he comes out before before dark with still some shooting light or even like honey locust trees we have those you know they have the bean pods those are really good yep um late season uh year before last i killed one i actually Went in there, had to cross two creeks with a P-Row. Um, went in there, I was scouting from the ground. Just My spot kind of went dead. So this was a spot I hadn't been to before, but I went in there, just kind of 
easing through like you'd squirrel hunt, but I was in a ghillie suit with a bow. So just taking my time really scouting, but you know, uh, if, if something was to happen, I'd have my bow, but I ended up seeing a bunch of deer and I saw the deer I killed later that afternoon, but they were, it's real thick bedding in there. There's a lot of cane and, you know, with, it wasn't that far off the road, but there was two sloughs in there. It was just too deep to wade mm-hmm. and I had to use the Piro, but they were feeding on, uh, briars. Yeah. Green Cause briar, it was, yeah. yeah, it was, uh, I want to say, well, it was actually, matter of fact, I killed it Christmas Eve night cause I about got in trouble cause I was about late to the party. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> But yeah, I saw him all morning and then I went back in there and hung a stand at around noon and got in. I was hunting by one and I ended up killing him the last 20 minutes of daylight. Wow. And he came right from where I saw him earlier that morning out of the same bedding area just to feed on those briars right at, right at dark. So do you think that that buck was, was in that bedding area? You watched him go into that bedding area and you killed him coming out of it? Definitely. That's okay. one that I have no no doubt in my mind. I watched him go in and out of it all morning, and he kind of messed with those. Because, I mean, you'll have in Arkansas, the rut kind of goes in and out. Mm-hmm. So you'll have, it starts October, early, you know, like in the mountains. And then really Thanksgiving and on is when it's in the, where I hunt in the Delta. Yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, I've seen him chasing in January. But anyway... Let me ask you, you know let me ask you a question on that. Um, yeah. and this is something I've wondered before in the past. Um, do you feel like because of the amount of flood like flooded land that you have out there, um, I it, this is just like more of a of a not scientific question, I guess. It could be there somebody probably has an answer, but do you feel like the flooding maybe slows down their ability to um, breed quite as freely as land that's maybe more open where they can run a lot. They're not, you know, I mean, obviously they can't, water is going to slow them down a little bit. Do you feel like that maybe is a reason why some of the rut like goes in and out is because of the water? I feel that way. Uh, Like we have a lot of late, fawns you know it'll be deer season this year and we'll have fawns really i think they just adapted it seems like the older i get the more flood the later it stays it doesn't leave out so like we're flooded a lot of the spring sometimes into the summer and i think they just adapt so that their young makes it you know they're not dropped till later Mm -hmm. and uh i think that's part of it as well but yeah, that's a that's an interesting you know, thought too. Them being able, you know, to, they adapt to everything. Yeah, just you know, people building homes, they just you know, they just deal with all of it. So that makes a lot of sense, and it and it really makes sense too when you think about Florida and the amount of flooded, like just swamp flooded, nasty stuff you've got in Florida, and in a lot of those places, their rut is is taking place earlier a lot of times. Like it's. It's just all over the place, and um, I, I've I've wondered that you know just as far as because we have we have land out here that is um, I guess more in South Alabama, and their rut always takes place a lot later. Like uh, I've hunted places where I mean the bucks are throwing down heavy rut sign in March, like while I was 
getting ready to turkey hunt, you know, I mean, yeah. and, and a lot of those places, it's the more of the flooded type areas. And so I've wondered if maybe that was, that was even a thing. I don't know. And I don't spend a lot of time honestly thinking about it because that's not really where I'm hunting. I'm not hunting a lot of those places, but, yeah. um, but it is, it is an interesting thought for anybody who is in those type of areas, you know, cause some people, um, some people, it, I'll give you another good example. My dad on his property in east texas it's flooded like it's just flooded land all the time and their rut always like you'll have a guy that's got a big open pasture right down the road that's saying oh man the bucks are they're wide open right now you know the week of uh the week before thanksgiving and then on my dad's property which is super flooded a lot um they don't they don't rut until let's see i get maybe i'm getting my a lot of those other places will rut early November, and his his rut is like like the second mid mid November. It's a lot later, and I'm yeah. I wonder if it has to do with a lot of that water, it not necessarily being a like there's just something in the air, but they're just adapting to the the water and maybe breeding a little bit later. That's my theory. Yeah. I've and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it works. It, so it just uh, yeah. I mean. The flooding just doesn't happen until later, and so I just think they've adapted, and you know that's just what they have to do to survive. So yeah, it's either that or pack your bags and move somewhere higher. And a lot of them, you know, they're not moving from their home. We've had it flood really bad in some of the areas I hunt, and I mean it's like super deep. Of course, they leave, and like it, you won't see as many deer, but they always come back. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's crazy animal but so would you say like a good maybe a a rule of thumb for you and then we'll kind of move on from from maybe this subject but a good rule of thumb would be like if they have to start swimming the majority of the time they're basically not able to touch the ground and walk through the flooded timber is that kind of where you maybe start moving on and trying to find different areas that maybe the water's a little bit lower or dry yeah, if it's that high, I'm they're gonna move to high that for the most part. Okay, okay, that's uh, that makes sense to me. I mean that that yeah. that seems logical, but I mean yeah, it you just never know. Like you said, that <laughs> you never know when you're gonna see one float by on a log. You know. It's yeah, just, that that blew our mind. But yeah, that's a true story. That's crazy <laughs> on a log. I was like, that's that'll prove it right there. They're they're gonna survive. Yeah, so. yeah. So talking a little bit more on um in terms of bedding so one of the things that we established already that you that you have been you know pretty successful in seeing and in your scouting and things like that is the high ground now is there anything else i know you mentioned like cane breaks and things like that um where you where you tend to find a lot of deer i think that's what you said but um is there any other things that really like scream? This is a bedding area. Um, really, it's just it's those grown up areas. That, I mean, it's in this. A lot of it's in the swampy areas. Or, I mean, it's not always. I mean, we have cedar thickets and that kind of stuff. Um, Shay likes. I don't. Shay Reed. He's from Arkansas. Yeah. Um, I hunt with him some, and he really likes those cedar thickets. And okay. I mean, I've, I've done pretty good on them, but for me, they're easier to get to. Not all of them. I mean, there's some, but a lot of people see that and it's easier to go to. So I don't always hunt those. I mean, I check them. Um, 
but I go to the ones that just, you know, has like a deep, some kind of deep water crossing that mm-hmm. they, I mean, I watch deer jump across them, but you can't, you know, you got to have a boat because or a pyro or something, because there's been a, quite a few. I was like, Oh, I can wade that. And then I go over my head. So, uh, and when it's a ways in there and then you got to take a pyro, you know, people aren't going, most people aren't going to do that. Right. But it's just those secluded areas like that. I mean, a lot of them are thick. I mean, it's, uh, like I said, there's just all the security there, which there's oak trees all around, so they don't have to go far. And a lot mm-hmm. of the big bucks don't, I, you know, I think when the pressure increases, they wait till dark. So yeah. if you're not in the bedding area or on the bedding area, you're probably not going to see them. Yeah. So, and um, you're not, are you getting a whole lot of temperature changes there in Arkansas or is it pretty consistently hot right there on the, in that kind of Delta region? It's hot a lot of times. Like this past year is really cold. Like open week of gun season, I always draw for the gun permit. Yeah. And, uh, it's the second, it opens the second week of November and it's like 17 degrees. So I'm thinking I'm just going to kill a deer or see a bunch of deer and i really didn't see that many it's like they were like us you know they i don't think they were ready for it yeah uh but i have seen for the most part yeah for the most part it's not you know it's if if i can get 50s during the day and 30s at night i'm real i'm a happy camper yeah but uh Yeah. yeah for the most part in november it's just Arkansas, it's like it. If you're not happy with it now, just wait a minute; it'll change. Yeah, so. yeah. That's that's similar to Alabama. I mean, we had we had some really really cold days. Um, we had some good cold fronts that came through. Um, I killed a buck in the my first ever buck in the snow, which was a joke of a snowstorm. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. It was just kind of a layer of ice. But um, this past year, I killed my first buck in the snow, which was pretty cool. Um, and so, you know, I think I think you have those scenarios. So that also happened to be like right in the three days when the rut just seems to be on fire, and you can pretty much like weather will pay, play a little bit of um, it, it'll make it, it'll play into the game a little bit, but yeah. not nearly as much as I mean, just the, those three days always seem to be rain or shine, snow, sleet, hail, whatever. The deer are on their feet because the, that those three days are fired up, and it's like usually like mid-December, like somewhere between the 10th and the 15th, it just starts to get nuts in there. And so that snowstorm didn't really affect anything, I don't think, because they still didn't move until 9.30 that morning when it already kind of heated up a little bit. But, um, you know, that's one of the things, you know, you one of the things you said about, you know, you feel like maybe they're a little bit more like humans than we think, and everybody's always like, oh, man, cold fronts coming through deer going to be on their feet i always find that it's usually right before or right after a cold front comes through yeah and they can they stay in that bedding area in the sun i think yeah kind of warm up and you know have that i was seeing more when the cold snap uh it was more the mid morning or late morning midday movement that i was getting and i think it was just because it went from you know normal november to next opening week it was just crazy cold and everybody was fired up and of course we all are but the deer are just like what's going on you know this is not right so 
yeah. I think they chilled out for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So um, moving on, just as far as betting, betting cover, do you find, you know, in that where you have a lot of those, you know, creeks and uh, do you find a lot of betting around like oxbows and some of that kind of more typical uh, river bottom betting type terrain? I do. Uh, oxbows, you know, just the bends in the creek, they really like the, you know, out on those points and stuff because they can see it coming in either direction. Yeah. From the water or, if you know, when you're trying to sneak in there or you're just going in there, you know, they're already up and over the creek before you can get an eye on them most of the time. Do you, do you play thermals in flatland like that? Quite, I mean, for me, thermals are a big deal in really hilly terrain. Is it, does it play a huge part in, in that kind of stuff that you're hunting? I, it does. I mean, it's a pain in the butt because it, it seems like it changes so much here because there's not really with the, as much elevation, so it doesn't seem to be as consistent. But I do like to get on the downwind side if I kind of think I have an idea where they're going to be and mm-hmm. get close to the water, especially afternoon. It'll pull your scent down, you know, and follow the current of the water a lot of times. Yeah. I had one, uh, it was actually, I thought he was going to smell me because it was going right to him, but I had some milkweed that I can't remember the guy's name that actually sent it to me because you can't find it here. Yeah. Uh, but I was, he still wasn't smelling me. He wasn't a shooter buck, but it was a nice young buck and I kept dropping the milkweed. It would go right at him, but then the creek was between me and him. It would hit the creek drop down to his nose, but then go down with the creek. And I was like, that's exactly what I was hoping it would do. Cause I was kind of, it changed on me, yeah. but, uh, it was pretty cool to see that with that milkweed. So that's, that's so cool. That's so interesting to me. And I'm kind of geeking out about it because I'm thinking about, you know, some of the areas that I hunt that maybe have standing water. And so my, my first reaction is like if I'm hunting anywhere with a creek in the areas that I normally hunt in hilly terrain, I'm going to try to get to where, whether it's in the morning or the evening, where my thermals will pull. If I'm going to play that, especially if I'm in a bottom or something like that, where my thermals yeah. will pull into that creek and give me the best opportunity of where I think the deer is going to be coming from. Um, obviously, they're deer and they don't always do the same thing, but if you kind of have some history in an area, and you know where the deer or where you think they're going to be coming from to get where, you know, those, that, that current is going to pull your scent. So in a flat land scenario where you've got a bunch of standing water around, I'm kind of thinking about how I would be marking on a map of, okay, that is an actual Creek set up close to that, to where my thermals will pull there and don't pay so much attention to, um, the standing water as you do the running water is that about right i'd say so i mean that's kind of what you have to do with flat ground because it just i mean it it is inconsistent but like that when they really start moving in the afternoon that usually and that temperature drops it'll pull it down so yeah that's you know it's not always 100 percent, of course but that really helps in uh i mean it's helped me out quite a bit and that's kind of what I, the way I set up with that in the mornings, you know, it rises. So, uh, 
there's certain spots that do have the ridges. I'll get up on the ridge above them, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of helps a little bit. Yeah. But for the most part, I'm on the all that real flat below sea level stuff. So uh, I let water pull my scent as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. I I'm sitting here at like literally thinking about in my mind how much fun it's like. I love the puzzle of putting all this stuff together. Right. And so when I'm thinking about it, it really is. It's like, like you go into one of these spots and from, from the moment your foot steps onto the, the land, like me lately in the past few years, since really more focusing on thermals, like from the moment you're, it's, it's all, I guess, um, it's, uh, thought through, I guess, from your access to where you're sitting at. And like whenever you can make it happen on one of those places where you literally put all the pieces together, the deer did exactly what you wanted it to do. You played the wind and your thermals pulled or rose exactly where you wanted it to. It's like, oh man, it's like, I'm, a, I'm the great white hunter. Like it's the best feeling in the world. It really uh, is. Even, you know, even if it's a deer, you're not like, you know, specifically after, but when you know that you set up and they can't smell you because the way you set up, you just, you, you feel like you're winning. Yeah, man. I, it's, that is, that is something that is so cool to me about hunting on public land specifically where you don't have a lot of preset or any, I don't have any preset locations. So, um, yeah, I don't either. You know, it's like, it's like you can do that. We were talking about this earlier. You can do that on any wind. Like you can find those spots, especially if you're scouting or even just looking at a map, like, if you if you're doing your homework and you're researching and you're learning, I mean, learning is such a big part of it. But you can look at your map and say, I think the deer are going to come from. For me, like I'm always hunting hard transitions, so I think the deer are going to come from right there. Well, there's a creek right here. This creek is going to get whatever time of the day it's going to pull or push your your scent one way or the other. Like you can find those spots for any condition, like any wind direction. Yeah. I love that about hunting public land. And it makes me feel like freaking Daniel Boone. Like, yeah, I love it. It's so and much fun. if you fun. mess up, you can just pack your stuff and go find another spot. Yeah. Dude, one you of You don't the... have that one spot, you know. I hate having one spot. Yes. I, you know, I, I've, I've hunted this place, you know, since I was 12, 13, and uh, I get new spots every year. You know, I just when spring comes or about February when I'm starting to kind of slack on the hunting, I'm going out and finding new, I'm just walking. Yeah. Marking spots. I mean, my onyx is just eat up with, you know, you can't hardly see the map because I've got so many spots marked, but Man, I'm the same way. Like, I need to start like writing a red it blob. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a good transition because, um, a, a lot of this is really dependent on gear. And I want to, I want to highlight something, um, kind of what you just said, not being tied down to a spot. One of the coolest um, examples of this that I've, I have seen was actually on a hunting public video where they were in Missouri. And I think it, it if I'm not mistaken, it's the biggest deer that has ever, that they've ever shot in the history of the hunting public. And Ted shot it from that little, yeah. that little ground blind. They were set up in, uh, in, in the saddle and they started noticing all the deer were traveling through one little area and they were like, well, bump this. We're going to get down out of this saddle and move. 
And he just That's set a up good that episode. little. It, it was one of the best. It was one of the greatest. Uh, honestly, it's one of the greatest advocates for mobile hunting, in my opinion. You just watch that video, and you should be sold on it. Like, if you were trying to do all that crap with a climber or a, a lock-on stand, even like you're just—it's going to be too much. It's going to be too noisy. <laughs> but with the saddle, it just worked. Like, obviously, he didn't kill it from the saddle, but. It it was it got nothing, him in the game anyway. It did, man. There was nothing holding him back from saying, "Well, I'm just going to climb down out of here and move over there." And I used to think it would mess me up. I've uh, I had a one that I it's my second or third biggest deer, and uh, which I had a bunch of people on me that morning too, so I didn't go exactly where I wanted to. But long story short, I moved four times and killed that deer at noon. Uh, so that was an eye opener for me. It really is. I mean, and when you really think about it, like think about how many deer you've seen at the break of daylight, just like when it's barely light and you've maybe only been set up in your, in your tree for, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Like I think that you need to be smart, be smart about stuff, but don't be afraid to move. Cause I mean, yeah. If a deer is out of sight and he's not downwind of you, like you can you can get away with a whole lot more than you think you can. And you really can. I mean, they're used to people yeah. moving around too. Yeah. I mean, my biggest buck, the big the buck that I shot this past year, I shot him 15 minutes after I'd been in the tree. And I mean, he was a big mature buck. Like he wasn't going to do anything stupid. And I hadn't been in the tree very long. I was actually late getting into my spot. I could, I was, I climbed up that tree without a flashlight that day because I was so late getting in there. So, I mean, when you think about being able to fool a deer like that, um, it, it really makes you want, makes you wonder how much you could actually get away with. And I think that video of Ted actually really, really um, was a good example of that. And so I want to kind of move into your the way that you hunt um you already mentioned that you use that piro which got me fired up because i love water access but um are you using a saddle stand climber kind of all of the above what's your what's your go-to thing uh mostly it's either uh saddle but i'm kind of going back to a lock-on uh i've done i've done it all uh but this year i'm probably gonna do my lock on and uh which i'm gonna go with xop just the evo okay and then i'm gonna do the hopefully if they get them out the mini sticks that they're coming out with mm-hmm. it's so i know it's a little more weight but i like how i can i just got really efficient at it when i had a lone wolf and i put the aiders on it but yeah. i like how there's attaches to the stand so i can grab them as i'm going up the stand i don't know if you've seen them i'm sure you have where yeah. they the steps lock it to the uh stand itself i've actually yeah. got the brackets i've got the lone wolf custom gear cable aiders that i'm gonna try those to modify onto those they, and uh, they crushed it as simple as that is they crushed it with that like that they did i mean it's, cool. it's so dumb that I, I i mean i don't know why anybody didn't think of it sooner yeah, but i'm pissed i didn't come <laughs> up with that like, i'm like <laughs> a cable really yeah because i, I was, get everything I was doing all this all this stuff to keep mine open and I'm like, well, yep, they just, never mind. They made a cable. 
<laughs> no, they but, didn't uh, make a cable. <laughs> they probably bought a cable at freaking yeah. Lowe's and was like, hey, this will yeah. work. Let's sell it. <laughs> it. It sold me. I bought them from them. Yeah. But uh, I'm usually making most of my stuff. But, you know, I'm not going to rule out a saddle either. I really like it. I like how you can hide the – I used it a lot this year in a spot that just – it's real grown up. And it's surrounded by ditches, of course, with what I like. I had to use a P-Row to get into it, but then it's just like 200 acres of CRP and just like new growth of trees, but they're so small, you can't get anything in them. But man, with a saddle, it was like I had it all to myself. Plus, you can use, you know, kind of use it to your advantage on hiding you in front of you, which was just a different deal for me, but I really liked it. And I shot some deer out of it and it people, you know, they're like, Oh, you can't do that. But it's, I think you're, I, I was locked in solid when I was on a, in a saddle cause I could push off the tree and lean. I felt more secure than being in a stand. Yeah. Some of those stands are so small. It's like, I can't, you know, it's like I'm standing straight up. Like I feel like I could just yeah. fall out of them. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's, that's true. I mean, I try to lock on for like, not even a season and i was like eh, no um yeah. like it just it just wasn't for me like and that happened to be the year that i got a saddle too so um it yeah. worked out but we you know we talk a lot about saddle hunting on this podcast because that's what we mm-hmm. do and um obviously it's it's kind of the end thing right now and a lot of people are are being opened up to it and really kind of falling in love with the the whole system but I'm interested to hear from a guy like you who says, you know, I did the saddle. I like it. I think it has its place, but I think I'm going to go back to my lock on. Can you kind of maybe just uh, expound on that just a little bit and tell me your thought process going into that? Because for me, I can't personally find a reason why I would ever want to use a tree stand or a lock on or a climber or anything else ever again, even if one's already preset. I just like the I like the versatility I have in a saddle. Um, so what's your thought process behind that? Yeah, I wouldn't knock any of them. It's personal preference. Cause I have a lot of some friends that still like their heavy summit climber. I like mine. It's like a recliner, but it also is like carrying a recliner in the wood, you know, through the yeah. woods and making a lot of noise for me. Uh, the saddle was, was, and is awesome. Like I, I wore mine in the woods. I didn't, uh, I think Shay, like he was putting his on when he got there. Mm-hmm. I just wore mine, and then but I was using the uh, the wild edge steps, mm-hmm. and I got pretty good at it and got efficient at it. I had friends that were like, "Man, you're gonna kill yourself." They tried it and was like, "No, it's not for me." But uh, I was just using three, and then I was had the five step eighter, and uh, I was getting twenty feet, which is about where I like to be. Sometimes I'll go higher, sometimes lower. But, um, I don't, it was kind of, I just, I wanted to be quicker. I can, it seems like with the sticks and the stand, I can just throw it up so fast. Yeah. And I, which I'll probably get another saddle. I sold it just so I could do fun for my other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know how I am. I'll get another one. Um, I really like the saddle and I'd like to have it in Especially like for, I like to sit all day on a lot of hunts mm-hmm. and uh, just learning how to get it comfortable. It was it was comfortable, but not you know with my 
with a stand, I'll, I'll sit and stand all day. So I'll lean against the tree uh, most of the time, but then I'll sit down. Uh, I just, I don't know. I think it's, it was more, I, it's probably just cause I've used it more. Yeah. Yeah. You're familiar basically. with it. I'm just more familiar with it. Uh, and I'll, but I'll I definitely say, I'll say this, like man. the saddle. I, I don't blame you there. And I actually kind of applaud you there because I feel like a lot, there's so many guys, man, that are, um, gear junkies and I'm, I'm just like that. Like I, I like gear, but we I'm, all are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's just, it's gear junkies. And it's mobile fun hunters. to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a blast to get new things in the mail and like try stuff out. Keeps you busy during the off season. But there is one thing, uh, I've been talking to my buddies, uh, Adam Cruz and Walter Lee about, and now if anybody who's listened to this, they know who Adam Cruz is because he's been on the show a lot and he's been in videos and stuff. And Adam's, Adam's one of my good buddies, but there's one thing I was talking to him. He's listening to this. I know he is. Um, but there's one thing I was talking to him about because he was talking about being frustrated about this and about that and like just certain gear things. And I was like, bro, you need to sell out to a system, like whatever yeah. system it is. Get it can used be to that system. Yeah, yeah. Because if you keep changing things so much, and I'm picking on Adam because he's my he's one of my good friends, but th- there's a lot of people that are like this. Like they 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 can't ever get happy with it. Some I, people change too much. It, it is like, it's too much. And are you, you doing too much gear? Or are you trying to? You know, I'm I'm I mean I like the gear, but I want to be successful at you know getting close to deer is the main objective. So right. whatever I can get familiar with and makes me more confident and I feel like I have the advantage, that's what I want to use. And that's what you should use. And I don't knock anybody for using whatever they want to use. Yeah. I've even got a guy that he loves to ground hunt and I like it. Insert, I do it more for scouting and uh, the ghillie suit things really open an eye, but I still feel more confident up in a tree. Yeah. You know, but he doesn't like fooling with all that, which I mean, I get it. And if you have confidence, that's, that's what you need to do. I agree, man. I get, I get, uh, like for me, I'm not the latest and greatest. Like I'm never like, I I'm sitting here in my office looking at my, my deer rifle and it's a <laughs> savage 30 out six that, uh, my dad bought me from a pawn shop when I was like 11 years old. And I've had other deer rifles. Like, I've tried, yeah. like, getting new deer rifles and stuff like that. But I always end up selling them because I know this gun. Like, yeah, I, I put a new scope on it this past year, and, and that's great. Like, that's that's made it awesome. But, like, I just know this gun. Like, I don't really have any desire to change it because it works. I mean, it kills deer. <laughs> it's killed a lot of deer. And it, it, it does good. I, I rarely, when I shoot deer with this gun... I'm not, I know a lot of people say this, but like with this specific gun, I rarely ever like wound a deer or anything like that. Like I'm just, I just know it. And it's something you trust. I trust it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. And like, you know, whenever it comes to saddle hunting, I see a lot of guys get frustrated because they can't get a system down. But like, yeah. From the moment. I think some of them are giving up too soon too. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, there's a learning curve for sure. Yeah, there is, and it's the same thing. But that's thing anything. With, yeah, this was gonna say it's the same thing with self filming. Like, so many people quit self filming because they're like, I just can't, I can't get everything together. 
But, like, I literally practice the same thing over and over again before the season starts, and I do it. I develop a system. Like, I do it the exact yeah. same thing, same way every single time. I can you get do it your in repetitions sleep. in. Yeah. yeah. You just know how to do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, and Adam, Adam, like I said, I, I pick on Adam. Adam's not – he's not that bad. Like, he's not that bad at it. <laughs> Adam's a – Adam's a heck of a hunter and he's, he's constantly getting on deer. Um, but there's a lot of people who are, who are that way, you know, times a million and yeah. they're just never going to be happy because they're more concerned about doing that. And it's honestly hindering them killing a deer. And so going to what you said about what you're do the reason why you're going, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. And that's, that's a respectable thing. That doesn't mean that, you know, maybe one day you won't develop the same type of, love for the saddle but just at this point in time it's like hey i'm just gonna do what i'm familiar with i'm gonna do what i know i can do well and that makes a lot of sense yeah i i mean with having kind of a tough year and uh i'm just gonna go out the gate with something uh more familiar and uh i'm gonna focus on trying to get some of those deer down this year uh i know a saddle will, will end up back at in my gear bag at some time i know that yeah but i like seeing all of them coming out too because you know that just making everybody do better and uh so much stuff has come out the last couple years with it and i think that's awesome and it's i mean i wouldn't knock it till you try it because it's it's a good system yeah i love it like i i don't really ever i don't ever intend on like i said like when i'm at my dad's property in east texas he's got blinds and tripod stands and stuff set up set up all over the place and i you know i would just assume i'll i'll climb a tree right next to the blind because i just like hunting out of the saddle better yeah like it's a See, more enjoyable yeah. thing we've got a deer lease that i'm in it's mostly for turkeys and my kids just trying to introduce them into hunting and stuff mm-hmm. and uh we've got you know anything you can imagine down there but i'll go and uh me and one of my buddies and we were hunting out of saddles last year, and everybody's hunting over bait. We're going and hunting just like we're hunting public. And they're like, y'all boys are working too hard at it. But it's just <laughs> what we enjoy. And, you know, I don't it's, I don't really care to, you know, it's whatever you want to do, but I, that's just how not the style I like. So Yeah. And so then you add you add the other aspect, and that is water access, which, she, which seems to be a pretty important thing to what you're doing. So I want you to talk about that P-Row a little bit, which I've always, I've never known how it's pronounced. I, I've always said P-Rogue, but. Um, Don't quote me on that. I say P-Rogue. Yeah, well, you're so, from Arkansas, so I, I guess I can't really quote you on it. But Yeah, don't don't take anything <laughs> I say. Uh, but yeah, it's a P-Row and it's a, it's a Bobcat P-Row. I think they went out of business and I believe they opened back up. They sold to, sold to, Somebody, you know, bought the patent or whatever and opened them. I've saw, I've seen them online again. So, but it's a fiberglass P-Row. I think mine's a 11 foot P-Row. And it's, I want to say around 45 pounds, give or take a little, but you can get two people in it. Uh, it, I've got seats for it. It has like a fiberglass base you can throw in there, but I don't ever use it. I just use the boat itself. Get them all. Have a life jacket, put my knees on it, and just a paddle, and uh, it's like a you know a kayak paddle, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can tread water fast with that thing. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask on. So, 
I use a I use a new canoe, obviously, and I freaking love the thing. I love my whole setup. But um, I, I will tell you one one thing that I feel a little bit limited to is a little bit easier launch points, and it's been on my radar to try to find something maybe a little bit lighter. And and typically most of the areas that I hunt have have easier launches. You know, I, I can get yeah, into a launch yeah. pretty easy. But there are times when I'm driving down the highway. Um, man, I'll, t- I'll be honest with you. I've been driving through Arkansas before <laughs> and thought, man, that, that looks awesome. And I'll pull up Onyx and see that there's public land close by. And I'm like, man, that would be awesome. But it it would be really tough for me to get my boat somewhere right in through there. So talking about a Piro, is that something like – are you using like actual launch areas or is it just kind of like anywhere you see, you can pretty well throw it in, throw it on your back and get down there to it. Yeah. It's anywhere I can see. I don't hardly ever use a boat launch. Um, everybody's at those in Arkansas. Um, I can pick this thing up, uh, with one arm and carry it. If you know, it's got a handle on each end, but it's, I mean, it's super light. And I've got one spot where I actually park. I pull off the highway and park on one side of the highway and then get my Piro out of the truck and then watching traffic. And I try to let them get away so they don't see what I'm doing. But uh, a lot of times, you know, I'm, I just run across the highway with that Piro and throw it down in this. It's We call it a bar ditch, but it's a big canal they dug out to build the highway up because it floods. Mm-hmm. And that dish just made that side, you know, inaccessible unless you have something. And there's no way to get a boat. There's no boat launches and there's nowhere to go. So you can't just stop and back a, you know, a boat off into that water way. So, you know, the Piro just, and matter of fact, that's where I killed one of my biggest deer was right there in that area. The one I said I moved four times on. Yeah. And uh, that was Piro access. And then back in that day it was actually the heavy lawn chair or uh, recliner summit that I was telling you about. <laughs> and your, and your, your summit probably weighed as much as your Piro did. Is what it sounds oh, just, like. just about now you could take a nap in it, but it, you yeah. know, you about needed to after carrying it, you're so worn out, but as far as comfort, you can't beat it. But yeah, yeah the water is, uh, it plays a big part for me. Uh, I don't always use it, but if I can, that's what that's that's my preferred entry. Yeah, and that's man. I, I'm sitting here thinking, just kind of calculating stuff in my mind. So when I first started with this type stuff, I was using a pretty heavy freaking climber. Um, when I was real young, when I was just doing it like with my uncle and my dad, you know, and my uncle was letting us borrow API Grand Slam climbers. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> we were carrying in, we're carrying in a rifle or, um, or a bow or a muzzleloader or something like that. So you're carrying in your gun, you're carrying in that climber. Um, but when I first started doing water access, I was using a climber. So when you, when you add all the weight of everything that you're carrying in, if you were using a saddle plus your, your Piro, you're almost, that Piro sounds to be so light that you're almost lighter carrying in even a boat. Like your whole setup is lighter than like a climber, a big old heavy backpack with all your gear in it. 
Like, that's a light, stinking setup, man. I mean, when you add the weight of everything you're taking, like, that's still pretty freaking light. And yeah. That, that I, gets me jacked up. My, that makes me feel like I need to go out and buy a P-Row. Man, you need <laughs> one. Um, you know, it's not for the long long hauls. Yeah. I mean, you can put that seat in it that I have. I've got a, a cheap kayak that I tried, but it seems like the cheap kayaks are real tipsy. Exactly. Um. I mean, because I went swimming in one and running an iPhone just testing it out. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of a bad story. But the the Hero, I mean, it's so sturdy. At least mine, I, I've seen most of them that way. That's why they're so popular in Louisiana. But it's like, it's eight or ten inches, you know, tall. It's very uh, slim. You can fit two people in. Like, I've, I've had two people... Uh, two bows, two lock-ons, and a deer that was 200 plus pounds, and we made it safely back across. Uh, but it goes in very shallow. I mean, it, it probably floating a couple inches of water with one person in it. So I mean, it's but you you can stand up in it. I yeah. just, I freaked one of my buddies out. Just he, I told him we were going to use a boat, and he came with me on one of the permit hunts. I put him in for it. And, he showed up and he's like, where's the boat at? And I said, it's already in the water. So he walked down there and he's like, you've got to be kidding. I'm not getting that. <laughs> but I talked him into it, you know, and of course, when it was daylight, when we were coming back, I kind of being a jerk and rocked it a little bit, but it, it's, I was just trying to show him how sturdy it is. But I mean, it's really, really stable. And, uh, it's, a, it's an awesome little tool to, get to places man like that that i'm very familiar with the kayak world like i'm i'm immersed in it like i love kayaks so i see every new kayak that comes out i'm i'm always looking at them and you know like kind of i'm i'm of course for me i'm judging them by their ability to carry a deer and honestly there's not a lot of them on the market that i feel like would be able to carry a deer with the exception of a new canoe um maybe like a, a hobie my first kayak was a cheap kayak. It was the Perception Striker. Um, that was my first hunting kayak. There, there's just really not a lot of them. And then, of course, a canoe. But even with a yeah. canoe, you're not – I mean, you're looking at spending some big money. Man, they're expensive, and you get – and they start adding weight. Yeah, yeah. That's that's like a P-Row, though. I mean, it's a pretty simple little design. Boat. For me, it has one, one tool is just to get in and out. It doesn't – yeah, I mean, you can pack some gear, but it's not, you know, I mean, you can pack all your hunting gear for a hunt. You know, a canoe to me is like you're going to float a river and have your tent, and, you know, going right. on a camping trip. Yeah, yeah. It's and not that. It's this is to get in there and kill that animal and throw him in the P-Row and get him back to the man. vehicle. And, like, for me, I'm not using it all the time. You know, it wouldn't be something yeah. I would use every single time I hunt, but... I mean, I can think of a handful of places that would be just awesome just sitting here thinking about it. Like, and and I've been in the market for a, a light kayak, um, just something that I can keep in my garage. And when I find those areas, be able to go in there easily, drag a boat down to, like what you're saying, drag it down into the bar ditch and go. Um, but there's really not a kayak out there that's cheap and light that would that would be able to carry an animal out i mean not that i can find the I, ones i found i went swimming 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and they're not they're not all that stable. They're no, they don't have room. they get you wet. Yeah, man, I'm gonna um, like I, I'm not joking. You you know you said something like I'm gonna be googling this junk and looking on <laughs> fake Facebook Marketplace for. I have to send you a picture. I'll send you a picture of mine tomorrow when it's daylight. Heck yeah, man! I'm I'm jacked to see it. Do you happen to have a picture of that that buck um, with all y'all stuff in it? I don't think I do. I think I may have a picture of him by it. I don't remember if I have. I'll have to see. I don't think the set was. I don't even think we had iPhones back then. Okay, I uh, gotcha. It well, may have been in the iPhone, and I can't remember <laughs> the iPhone that went into the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, man, that's that's crazy. I, I'm I'm definitely going to be looking at that and. To everybody listening to this, I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about kayaks, and I'm obviously I'm on Team New Canoe, but I mean, there's there's things that you know that like I I'm all about finding the best tool for the job, and for what I do, a new canoe is obviously for me it's the best the best tool I've been able to find. But man, you start thinking about those times when something like that would be incredibly useful and uh and that sounds really cool so i'm looking forward to uh to seeing some pictures of yours and yeah trying to i've find actually one carried it a long ways too i mean you can carry it through the you know i've had to carry it me and my brother-in-law carried it maybe half a mile through the woods and then crossed where we killed that or where i killed that one that me and him rode on back out so i mean it it definitely gets you into places that people don't want to go heck yeah i'm i'm fired up about it man that's super cool man i do appreciate you uh coming on the show tonight and man like i'm i'm just sitting here honestly man i'm (laughs) i'm blown away because like that i wasn't expecting the amount of information that we talked about just just on this river bottom style of of deer hunting and and man, I'm I'm hoping that uh, that everybody listening to this can can get as much information as I feel like I did. Like I don't have just a ton of podcasts that we do where I'm just like, holy crap! I feel like I could go hunt a river bottom area right now and do pretty well at it just because I listen to this podcast. So, uh, man, I do appreciate all the knowledge that you shared. And uh, man, that was yeah, man, I was really appreciate good you having me. Absolutely, man. Well, it's hey, fun. I love talking about deer hunting. I can do it all the time. Oh man, it's it's so much fun. I've I've really enjoyed it through this podcast and being able to talk to people from really all over the South and even some people, you know, on Local Legends last year, we had a guy from New York come on there and like just getting different perspectives from people. I think you can, um, I think you can learn something if you're wanting to learn. You can learn something from just about anybody. Yeah. Um, Piece to the puzzle. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just another piece to the, to a big puzzle. And so, man, I do appreciate that guys listen to this. Like I said, my, uh, editing computer is done right now. And, uh, so I'm trying to knock out this whole podcast without having to do any editing. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to the Southern ground hunting podcast. Again, Caleb, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Hey guys, make sure again to check out, um, Southern ground hunting on YouTube. We are, uh, if you, if you didn't listen to the, the intro of this podcast and you fast forwarded it to the good stuff, um, make sure you do check that out. We are no longer going to be on the sportsman's nation network and, uh, we're going to be doing our own YouTube channel, which is really exciting stuff. Uh, but we will still be with the sportsman's nation on 
the podcast network for sure. Um, so go and find us on YouTube. Give us a subscribe. That would be awesome. We're going to have some content coming out very shortly as soon as I get a new computer in the next week or so. Um, check out ScreeGear.com. You can use uh, the discount code, all lowercase, all one word, Southern Ground at checkout, and that will save you 15% on, uh, in my opinion, the best affordable um, hunting apparel that you can find like on the market right now. Like It is so affordable and it's so good. And uh, just encourage you guys to try that out. Check out TetheredNation.com. There are teaching trains going on all over the place right now. Um, where you can try on some, uh, you can try on the new Phantom, you can try on a Mantis, try out the Predator platform. Uh, it's all all the saddle hunting equipment that you would uh, you would want to try out before you buy it. Um, you can find them at TetheredNation.com. You can find the Teach and Train um, events uh, pretty much all over the country. And uh, I know there was some small setbacks just through the COVID-19 stuff but they are back up and running and uh and i think going really well from some of the reports that i've heard of other teaching trains we're going to be um i believe still doing one at the world deer expo at the end of july or, or mid-july i believe it's the 18th through the 20th it's a uh i believe it's a thursday friday saturday right there somewhere around there um so you can check that out and uh again go to tetherednation.com check out all the cool saddle hunting equipment there is there um and that's going to be it. Caleb, dude, again, appreciate you coming on the show, dude. And uh, best of luck this upcoming season. Yeah, man, you too. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. You guys listen to this. If you're going to be out in the woods or on the water fishing, scouting, do whatever you're doing, uh, make sure you remember this, that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.